Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I started a series of messages on the Holy Spirit back on Pentecost Sunday, and we have talked about Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. We've talked about, uh, the, uh, about tongues. We did one message on tongues. And then we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit as a member of the Trinity. We talked about the power to be witnesses. And we talked about guidance. Last week, we were going to start talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit interrupted. <laughs> and we had uh, our service went a different direction. Uh, so no uh, formal sermon was delivered. I always get a little bit of preaching in, as Pastor Mike reminded me the other night. But uh, it was a wonderful service. Uh, many people uh, have, have shared with me since then uh, just uh, uh, how grateful they are to be in a church that is flexible like that and willing to be led uh, to, to lay aside our programs and our plans and just do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He is God, right? It's not like when we talk about having a Holy Spirit service, which is what I would call last week, it's not just about a, oh, there's an energy flowing through here. We can't preach. We can't do anything except just let it wash over. No, he was speaking words to us. He was doing healings. He was ministering to us last week, and it's wonderful. Now he's ministering to us today through the spoken word, through through the teaching, and, and as always, through praise and worship, but we want to do it the way he wants us to do it. So today, uh, I'm going to uh, preach at least a version of the message that I had uh, prepared for last week and start talking about the gifts. We're going to look a little more closely at the gifts of the Spirit as they appear in 1 Corinthians 12. And before we read it, you can go ahead and turn there because we'll be there shortly. Uh, A little background on Corinth. Corinth was a large city. It was a significant an important city in terms of commerce, shipping, and travel. It was also a decadent city, decadent in practically every way you might associate with the seedier parts of any large city uh, in the world today. If you wanted to find a place to go and sin in practically any way, Corinth was a good place to start. And uh, it was particularly known for its rampant sexual immorality. Prostitution was everywhere, even in the temples of their religion, which was primarily the worship of Aphrodite, also known as Venus. And importantly, there were elements of pagan worship that included uh, what we would call ecstatic experiences, going into a kind of trance or even a frenzy, physical manifestations and complete disorder were likely normal parts of their religious services. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, spent 18 months there in Corinth and successfully established a church. And when he continued on his missionary journeys, he would receive the occasional update, the report, and of course they didn't have email or even postal service back then, so news traveled a little more slowly, but he had friends. Uh, a lot of places who traveled, and so they would say, hey, they'd been in Corinth, and they'd give them an update, or they'd bring a letter from some concerned uh, uh, member of the congregation. But uh, he just sort of stayed on top of how the church in Corinth was doing. And there are some things that emerge that are very clear from the two letters that we have preserved in the New Testament that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 
And one of the big ones, and it shouldn't surprise anybody who knew anything about Corinth, is that sexual immorality had begun to creep into the church. And the church had allowed it and done little or nothing to correct it or discipline those involved. And we can talk a little bit more about church discipline later. The main ways that church discipline was carried out was to withhold communion and to not receive them into the, into the assembly until repentance had taken place. It, we weren't talking about whipping people and, and that sort of discipline. We were just saying, no, man, this is a ser- if you're going to be part of this congregation, there are things that your life is going to say. And, and, and be like. And if you're not going to take these things seriously, then no, you're not going to uh, eat the Lord's Supper with us. Anyway, they were just kind of blowing it off. And uh, so the church was, when we, when we picture the church in Corinth, uh, by and large, it was an immature and carnal church. The church was also a very charismatic church. The gifts of the Spirit were in operation on a regular basis. Now, how can that be? How can an immature, carnal church be full of the gifts of the Spirit? Paul nowhere suggests that the gifts they were operating in were false, fake imitations. And 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 we will talk about that today and next week. But I'll give you the short version of the answer to that question is, um, and, and this will be a separate sermon someday, when you are looking to measure your spirituality, your spiritual, I'll put it this way, your spiritual maturity, or somebody else's spiritual maturity, uh, one of the ways you don't measure that is by how they flow in the gifts. Manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit are not a measure of spiritual maturity. Okay, Uh, And this is where, this is the main thing I'm convinced that Paul was addressing in this passage. They were trying to demonstrate how spiritual they were by operating in the gifts. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Paul wrote a letter uh, to ask some questions and to answer some questions and to correct some things. Somebody had brought a letter to him. He responded to, uh, to the church in Corinth with some instructions and uh, we've lost that letter. We don't have that letter. What we call 1 Corinthians was probably more like 2 Corinthians. That was probably his second letter. And 2 Corinthians was probably 4 Corinthians. Uh, there was more correspondence, but the two letters we have left, we can sort of fill in some gaps when he talks about his previous letter. Uh, but then he, after he sent the letter, he sent Timothy there. Uh, to personally get a handle on things, and, and then wrote another letter after he heard some things back from Timothy. And, um, and this is the one we call 1 Corinthians. And in this letter, we see a series of things that Paul addresses. He reminds them that they are to be Christ-centered, that they are to be led by the Spirit, that they are to be unified, that they are to be pure, moral, that they should be different from the world around them. I'm taking these things in order as they appear in 1 Corinthians Uh, He reinforces the sanctity of marriage. He urges them to serve one another, warns them against idolatry, and straightens them out as he moves into the worship service itself. The first thing he straightens them out on is the Lord's Supper, their conduct during the Lord's Supper. And then the very next thing, and we can begin now, in chapter 12, 
he addresses the, the character of the rest of their worship service. Now, this section of the letter, all of chapter 12, 13, and 14, is all about the same thing. And I can't stress this enough. It'll become clearer as we go through it. But some people say, well, he talks about the gifts and the body in chapter 12. And then he talks about the importance of love in chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, he talks about tongues and prophecy and some other stuff specifically. It's all one subject. But we will begin with verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you, that, uh, you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make it known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You should highlight that or underline that in your Bible. If you've got a Bible, you can underline and highlight it. And if you don't, you should have one. Let me read that verse again. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one, and here we go with the list. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, we could have started in verse 4, which is where he begins to introduce the gifts themselves. But these first three verses tell us why Paul is writing this. They were accustomed in their previous form of worship, when he talks about this, uh, um, you know that you were carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. They were accustomed to yielding themselves, giving up all self-control in their worship of pagan idols. Did the idols themselves have any power? Of course not. They were dumb idols. They were mute. They didn't speak to them or lead them. But as they, in their false worship of these idols, when we do that, what did they open themselves up to? Obviously, demonic influence. So there was spiritual presence in those pagan worship services, all right. It was just demons taking advantage of their ignorance. Uh, so they, these, uh, these demonic powers took advantage of that situation. And perhaps more often than not, they just totally fleshed out. They, they hollered, screamed, whatever. Again, total lack of self-control. And when the Holy Spirit fell on them, some of those old habits came into the church. What they saw when Paul was there, was a genuine power, a manifestation of the genuine power of God manifesting in these gifts that Paul just listed. What they apparently began to do after Paul left was to at least get into the flesh and try to manufacture some of that pagan energy and shoehorn it into Christian worship. Now we're speculating a little bit here. But you read what Paul writes, and he's addressing something specific that happened. So Paul starts this by saying this. The Holy Spirit doesn't take possession of you 
like these idols did. He doesn't shake you and use you like a puppet. He leads you. If you lose your self-control, it's not of God. If it doesn't ultimately glorify Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. No matter how in the Spirit you seem to be acting, looking, or sounding, it's not the Holy Spirit if it denies the truth of Christ and his lordship. This is what he's talking about. No one can say Jesus is Lord, etc. Hayford puts it this way. In, in his commentary on these very verses, he says, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers. He does not overpower. I like that. That's very straightforward. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He does not overpower us. If you think to be fully empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, means loss of self-control, you are going to have to contend with uh, some scripture that we are going to be looking at later. Some of you already know what I'm thinking. What's, one of the, what's part of the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. All right. So, he lists these nine particular gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And we will look at these gifts individually, a little more closely, not today. First, I need to make some broad comments about these gifts. Uh, and this first one I've said several times before, but when it says the Spirit distributes these gifts as he wills, again, I cannot be doctrinaire about this. It's been my experience. It's been my observation. It's something I agree with. So I'm not the only one that teaches this by a long shot. But I believe that when God empowers, when the Holy Spirit is moving and he distributes gifts in our service and gives somebody a word, a word of prophecy, a tongue, an interpretation, that that is for the profit of who? Of all, at that moment, in that service. It doesn't mean you now have the permanent gift of word of knowledge. You have now been officially designated as having the gift of prophecy. It means I want to prophesy through you today to these people. I want to use you in the gift of healing today for these people. Doesn't mean you have been permanently endowed with this gift. Now, why does it seem that way? Because if once you have operated in any particular gift, you find it easier to do it again. Oh, that wasn't so scary. I'm kind of a little more used to it. The main thing, we ought to be preparing ourselves. Uh, and I know it's, it's, it might be an, not a realistic expectation, but I think it's the desire of every God-fearing pastor that not only do I want to be prayed up and prepared when I step into the pulpit, our services would be so much more productive if every member of the body came in prayed up, ready not just to receive, but ready to be used, prepared to be used, consciously prepared to be used by the Holy Spirit in any way he sees fit. And we just pray a simple prayer. Father, open my ears and make me uh, willing to be used any way you desire to use me today. If you want to speak something through me, I want you to use me. I want, to, I want you to speak through me. If you want to heal through my hands, I want to be used that way. This is who the Holy Spirit is looking for. I think it was Hayford too 
who years ago I was listening to, he says, this is going to sound like a weird thing. He says, but you'll know what I'm talking to. He said, you know what I'm talking about. He goes, I've heard people say, I, I can see in the Bible where the Holy Spirit gifts, they, they look like they are for today, but why does it seem that when I go to church that only the weirdos operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Now, that's not true here. But maybe you've been in services where it's like, well, if God's going to use a, why can't he use somebody a little more respectable? Somebody that's a little bit easier to believe. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you? Maybe not. Maybe because you've only been in this good, solid church where we're all respectable. But, but Hayford said, he goes, it's because a lot of times the respectable people aren't as going to be as yielded. God's going to use whoever yields, makes themselves available to be used. All right? So shout out to all the weirdos. Anyway, uh, now here's the other thing. When, when we talk about, uh, mm, let me see if I want to cover this first before I want to switch some order around here. Yeah, you know, later on in, in chapter 12, Paul writes that, that we should earnestly desire the best gifts. But that comes after a marvelous illustration, which we're going to read here in a minute, about the church as a human body. And that even though some parts of the body seem more important and get all the attention, we need every part, right? Every part of the body in order to be the body that we were designed to be. Meaning that uh, just as the body is, as any one part of the body is as important as any other part of the body, it's the same with the gifts. One is not better or more spiritual. It depends on what is needed at that time. It's not a matter of, oh, You've got that gift. Guess what? I got prophecy, and that's a better gift. No. What does the church need? What is for the profit of all today? That's the best gift. Now, the other thing is, and we kind of alluded to this already, is that the Corinthians appear to uh, be given to sort of wild, uncontrolled expressions of spiritualism, spiritualism that did not edify the body of Christ did not glorify Jesus Christ. And the reason Paul lists these gifts is to place some sort of guardrail uh, or fence around them. That, yeah, there are many manifestations. You're right. Not everybody's going to manifest the gifts the same way, but here are the manifestations. Here's these nine. Now, another conversation we've had here before. Is God limited to only those nine spiritual gifts? Can God do anything beyond those? Personally, I think he can I think it's where we have to be super, super careful. God being God doesn't have to limit his manifestations to only these nine gifts, but he is never going to do anything that contradicts these nine gifts. He's never going to manifest in ways that contradict his character, that, that violate the fruit of the Spirit. So we got to be very, very... Now, there's people who disagree with that. I think I mentioned to you that Christopher Alam is one of them. There's a guy who's seen the moves of the Holy Spirit, who sees miracles, and he's like, if it ain't one of the nine gifts, it ain't God. I think that's... that's, that's uh, and he's certainly welcome to that opinion. But I think it ought to cause us to at least be careful about what we say. You know, if we feel a whoosh or a goosebump or, a, or whatever... Yeah, Holy Spirit, he can manifest himself in any way, but if it starts to manifest, he starts to manifest himself, if what is happening is largely a loss of self-control, if it's chaotic, and if it's not glorifying Christ or edifying the body, let's take a breather, step back, 
and examine ourselves. Now, all I'm saying really right now is that we know these nine are legitimate manifestations of the Spirit given for the common good. For the common good. That is the thing that Paul is going to focus on for the next two chapters. Okay? So let's read. Uh, now we're still in chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 12. How are we doing on time? I think oh, we're fine. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it, not, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which, we, which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another." And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And members individually. Now, what does this have to do with tongues, prophecy, miracles, etc.? The context, I think, is clear. They are turning in the church in Corinth. They are turning this, the operation of the flowing in the gifts of the Spirit into a kind of a competition. Oh, you got a word of knowledge over there? Check this out. Check out my tongues. And then somebody else would be like, you call that tongues? Listen to my tongues. And they'd do it louder, or they'd do it with a, a, a more fun accent or something. Uh, you got a word. This is... Uh, and then again, apparently, it turns into a free-for-all, where everybody is not only trying to outdo one another, but they're all doing it at the same time. So the person with the word of knowledge has to speak a little louder, and the person trying to prophesy or, uh, or speak in tongues or interpret tongues, is, they're, they're shouting one another down. And then again, it just kind of turns into this, hey, with, with, who cares if anybody's getting out of this, anything out of this? Who cares if we're hearing one another? The Spirit's moving, and that's the main thing, because that was the main thing when they got together for their pagan worship. And this passage on the body forces us to imagine what it would be like if our own body parts behaved that way. It's one thing to say, uh, the hand, yeah, yeah, I have no need of you. What if, what if the hand said to the feet, oh, you call that walking? Let me show you how I can walk. And you're suddenly you go into a handstand. Uh, it's really cool when somebody can do a handstand. Are you ever going to walk as comfortably or as perfectly on your hands as you, as you can on your feet as God intended you? No. What if the eye, what if the ear said to the eye, yeah, okay, but can you hear the color blue, man? Sounds like a bunch of hippies. So, 
we're accustomed to having every part in our body work together without even thinking about it. Now, I'm not a biologist. Uh, 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 I, can't, I can't tell you how this thing works, but I do know that there's a lot going on in my body right now just to be standing up. You, are, you know this, you know, even sitting up straight, that, that there are muscles and there are tendons and ligaments and uh, a sense of balance that are all working to keep you, you know, little tiny little adjustments that you're constantly making just to keep you sitting upright, standing upright, walking in a straight line. These things work. Uh, Matt Gordon, shout hey really loud. I saw several people, look, say it loud. Yeah, I saw several people look over there. I didn't look at Matt when I said that. Maybe you knew where he was sitting. But you knew where that sound was coming from, didn't you? How did you know that? Do you know how you knew that? Why, when somebody behind you yells, are you able to immediately identify where that sound came from? Or from the right or from the left? I'm going to tell you why. This part I do know. This is so fascinating to me. You have two ears, and sound travels at a particular speed. And the fact is, depending on which way your head is faced and which direction the sound is coming from, sound always hits one ear before it hits the other one. And your brain is sharp enough to identify it hit this ear first, therefore, and since your head is faced this way, therefore the sound is coming from over there. Is that fascinating? And that boggles my mind that that kind of math is taking place just when somebody says, hey, and I instantly turn that way. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do the calculations, but that's how our body is designed. Little details like that fascinate me. God did it all. Yes, he did. And that's why, now listen, can you get by with one ear? You can. You can get by with one eye. You can get by with one arm, one leg. You can get by without certain body parts. Are, is it going to be as easy? It's not. Praise God for people who continue to serve God with even if they're missing body parts. But we know we were designed to have it all. It's the same way with the body. If you leave or you fail to serve, this church is going to continue to work. It's still going to continue to serve God. We're going, to, we're going to complete our mission. Is it going to be as easy? Are we going to function as smoothly? No, that only happens when everything is clicking, when we all work together, when we are drawing on everything that every joint supplies, right? When we are all in our place. <clears throat> if you're out of your place, then somebody else has to do their, do their job and yours. All these things come together, and it can be seamless, it can be easy because Christ is the one directing us. He's the head. We're simply responding to his moves, his, his commands through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something, it's been, it was a struggle for the Corinthians, and, it was, and sometimes it's a struggle for us to see ourselves that way. Uh, to them, the gifts were flashy and convenient ways uh, to show off their spirituality. And tongues, it looks like, because of where Paul goes a little bit later, tongues was the easiest. Uh, it's the easiest way to show off. So if it's going to show how spiritual I am, I'm just going to break into tongues right now. And I'm going to break into tongues louder, and then we're all going to break in tongues together and trying to speak to one another. And 
this is where we, what we read at the end of this chapter <clears throat> in verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, we're not going to do it now. We can go back and cover how the ministry gifts here fit in with this teaching. But you know, it, that's interesting to me that he lists nine gifts of the Spirit. And then when he gets to this part, after talking about how important every body part is to the body as a whole, he starts talking about the ministry gifts, which, which will appear in, in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, apostles, prophets, teachers. These aren't listed. I mean, prophecy is, but these, you know, the, the, the apostle isn't a gift of the Spirit. That's a ministry gift. And what, what I think, what, what, what I need you to see here right now is when Paul lists these things, he's not ranking them. He's not listing them in order of any kind of rank. He's just uh, stressing that the gifts are for our edification. He's placed the gifts of the Spirit and the ministry gifts in the body for the good of the body and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? Don't seek the gift in order to be lifted up. Seek the gift that will do the most to lift one another up. And then he goes on to say, I'll show you an even better way, a more excellent way. Let me wrap this up by going back to this passage we just read. Because what I usually focus on is when he says there at the end, Yes, are all apostles? What's the answer? We've done this before. No. Are all teachers? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all have uh, work miracles? No. Do all speak in tongues? Well, we kind of think we do, right? But this is what's going to be super, super, super important about chapter 14 because that's when it becomes clear that there is the gift of tongues, and there is, the, there is praying in tongues, the ability to pray in tongues, which every believer can do. But back it up here a second. When he says, uh, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings? Let me ask you this. Who was Jesus talking to in the Great Commission? When he said, these signs shall follow those who believe. Uh, is healing part of that? They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now, who's they, who, the, those who believe? That's us, right? How many of you believe, have believed, and continue to believe that when Jesus said that, he's talking about me and every other believer, that I should lay my hands on the sick and expect people to recover? That's me. That's kind of a cornerstone of our belief. But what about when he said, uh, they'll tread upon serpents and scorpions. No deadly thing shall harm them. Who's that for? Well, that's for us. That sounds miraculous to me. Now again, uh, you know, they shall take up, you know, serpents. And, uh, there are still, amazingly, right here in, in uh, good old US of A, these snake handling services where they're like, look, Bible says right there, they shall. And so we're going to pass the rattlesnakes. And they do, and every year somebody gets bit and dies and something, and everybody has a good laugh at how stupid Christians are. When the practical outworking of that 
promise is right there in the book of Acts. You remember it when Paul and his company are shipwrecked and they go to build a fire and the natives are watching. They're like, oh, wow, you know, uh, look at these guys. And, and, and they're watching Paul and uh, as, uh, as the fire starts, he's putting some wood on the fire and as things heat up, this, this viper comes out, latches onto Paul's hand didn't just snap at him and go back. It latches on, so Paul had to shake it off into the fire. And the natives are watching, saying, ah, see, this guy was a criminal on this ship. He thought he was going to escape with the shipwreck, but the gods have seen to it that he's going to pay the price because that snake just bit him and he's going to die. And they kept watching him, and they kept watching him, and he didn't die. What's interesting is there's no evidence that Paul said, hey, y'all, look at this snake. I want you to see this snake is on my hand, and in Jesus' name, I will live and not die. Uh, be cast into the fire, ye snake, ye, ye serpent, ye, ye image of the devil. He just continued to build the fire. He shook the snake off and stood on Christ's promises and watched what happened, which was nothing. Except the natives are still watching. They're like, whoa, maybe this guy's a god himself. And open then up to hearing the gospel just because in the course of doing what he was called to do, what he needed to do, he was attacked, but he didn't suffer. He didn't die. He handled this deadly snake, but not on purpose. Okay? All that to say, when he says, are all workers of miracles, uh, do all have gifts of healings? Well, in a sense, yeah. We tend to focus on the tongues thing, but we should all be expecting miracles in terms of treading on serpents and scorpions and viruses. Remember, treading on these things, walking in victory over these things, does not mean we have the power to cast them out of existence, curse them out of existence. We can't do that. Jesus couldn't do that. What can we do? We can walk in victory over these things in our lives. Our authority only extends so far. Us, our spouses, our families, and then one another as we commit to one another's lives. That's the importance of the assembly. That's the importance of unity. I cannot, I believe in the authority of the believer, but the authority of the believer does not allow me to cast Satan into chains and hell and leave me alone. Right? Boy, wouldn't that be great? In the name of Jesus, I declare that all sickness has to depart from the earth all demons have to go to hell, and all money has to go to my bank account. Well, that would be sure easy, and it's not a matter of having enough faith. That's not the authority we have. We have the authority to enforce what Christ has said through the writings of Paul, Peter, John, others, to enforce those things in our lives. Aha, what does he say about money? He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. What? What's he say about protection? You will tread upon uh, serpents and scorpions. He didn't say they'll all run away from you. He said you can walk on them. He didn't say they cease to exist. He said you'll tread on them. He said that, that nothing will by any means harm you. That's what I stand on. Those things are going to be there. They can't hurt me. They can't hurt you. Amen? Uh, praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here now. So what we see is that even though Jesus commanded us to heal the sick, to expect supernatural manifestations that we would certainly call miracles, Paul's making it clear here that when it comes to the gifts that he just listed, we're talking about something else. It means that just because today 
God called you up to lay hands on, like, let's give a concrete example. Like from last week, when Pastor Mike had a couple of specific words uh, for, was it back pain, leg pain, something like that, hip pain? And what? Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. Yeah, digestive issue, upper digestive stuff. Uh, that's a word of knowledge. Mike had no way of knowing that in the, in, the, in the natural. Holy Spirit rises up, manifests a gift, uh, different manifestations, dis, uh, different distributions, and at that time he's distributing this gift, the word of knowledge, to Pastor Mike to call out and say, hey, I've seen this, people have come in with this disease, I'm moving specifically today, if you will come up and receive your healing. Now, again, it always cracks me up that anybody would think otherwise, why would God use a word of knowledge to call out a particular disease if there was also not going to be an accompanying gift of healing to address that? What if he said, hey, uh, come up here if you've all got anybody. I know somebody, I know through the Spirit, somebody's got upper digestive issues, somebody's got pain in their hip or their leg, and then 18 people come up and, and they all testify, yeah, I have that exact thing. All right, let's give the Lord a hand for knowing that. Go ahead and be seated. That's not what it's about. It's about getting them healed. And often, I think at least as often as not, the person who's been gifted with that word probably is the one who's also going to be operating in the gift of healing, but it could be somebody else. Who decides that? The Holy Spirit. He distributes as he wills. Okay? It's about what's good for the body, what is for the profit of all, what we will see even more next week. And I'm so, so excited about getting, getting us all straightened out on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I told you a couple weeks ago, did anybody do their homework and read 12, 13, and 14 and keep reading those three, three, uh, three chapters? This will all make more sense if you're familiar with what it already says. But the great love chapter is in there to address how we do the gifts. Stand up with me. And how we do the gifts is all about seeing the purpose of the gifts and it is not about elevating or in any way uh, drawing attention to the gifted. Operating in the gifts is never about God saying, look at how gifted this person is. It's even less about the gifted person saying, look at how gifted I am. It's look how much I love you to bring this gift through this person for you. And look how Jesus is going to be glorified in the middle of it. So, I hope you're excited about this. Uh, because there are, there are many congregations across the United States meeting right now. Meet throughout the week. And there are many precious uh, brothers and sisters. that I would consider genuine brothers and sisters. I don't think they're fake Christians. I think they have uh, received salvation but they deny the gifts. They either have a doctrinal stance that said, yes, that's the way the Holy Spirit used to work. He just doesn't anymore. Or increasingly, as, as uh, in, in some very biblically literate congregations, uh, you'll see things like, well, yes, God certainly can do those things and probably does, but it's safer just to avoid those because it leads to a lot of abuse, a lot of confusion, and a lot of excess. Look, just as we said at the beginning of this series on the Holy Spirit himself. 
You were never meant to try to fulfill the Great Commission. You were never meant to try to obey Christ himself. When you became a Christian, you were never meant to be the Christian he called you to be without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember that? The very first, that Pentecost Sunday, Jesus told his disciples who already were saved, don't go out and do everything I told you to do yet. You wait until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Same thing. If when the Holy Spirit came, he brought gifts for our edification, for the profit of all, we are not going to be as healthy as we can be as a church unless those gifts are operating in our midst. They might make you a little uncomfortable from time to time. And you might see people blow it from time to time. Good night. Do we really expect perfection in that? What, are you saying the Holy Spirit makes mistakes? No, we do. We are imperfect vessels. Don't be afraid of being used. Just don't get carried away. This is the danger. Oh, wow, it's exciting to be used by God, so I'm going to go up there and do it again. This ain't about you, bro. This ain't about you, sis. This is about what's good for the congregation. And that's why, as we'll see, let all things be done decently and in order. If you've been here any length of time, you see that there's a procedure that we encourage, which is when if you feel like you've got a word from the Lord, come up to me, tell me. I'll tell you when to go up there. You don't jump up in the middle of my sermon. You don't jump up in the middle of praise and worship and interrupt anything because there's order. What does the Spirit do? He empowers. He doesn't overpower. All right. So a couple of quick invitations. First of all, this Jesus that we keep talking about, the Holy Spirit glorifying, that these gifts for profiting us, glorifying Jesus. Why do we glorify Jesus? Why does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? Because he is God the Son. He is the, uh, the uh, heir of everything. And he made us, we've been made co-heirs with him. We inherit the glories of eternal life, the kingdom of God, sonship of God himself, through the finished work of Jesus. What is that work? The cross. The only reason we can even approach God, the only reason we, we, that we survive a praise and worship service, standing in the presence of God, is because Christ has made us clean with his blood. None of us were born good enough. None of us, by our own efforts, can be good enough because he is a perfect, holy God. You can't get close to that on your own efforts because of sin. Sin keeps us from the presence of God and dooms us to eternal death. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? Why? Because we deserved to die. We had a death sentence hanging on us. But God gave Jesus to die in our place that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Instead of life or instead of death, we get life everlasting. Instead of eternal separation from God, we get eternal reconciliation with God because God didn't turn his head away and ignore our sin. He took the guilt of our sin and the price that was supposed to be paid. He laid all of that on Jesus. And the judgment that our sin cries out for, he poured out on Jesus at the cross. So it's all been paid for. It's all done. What's our part? If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you have not made that decision personally 
today is your day. Don't leave without making that decision. I know most of you have, but that's not something you want to put off. Secondly, if you have made that decision, I trusted Jesus for my salvation a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So I'm a Christian. That's all I need. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Maybe not. Maybe you know deep down inside you've never begun to fulfill your destiny as a Christian. Hey, welcome to the club. Neither did any of those famous disciples. They would never have begun to fulfill their destiny either if they hadn't tarried in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the believer. So I'm going to pray here in a second. And then you're invited to come up here and let me pray for you you desire to give your heart to Jesus Christ, become a Christian today, come up here. Let me know that's what you're up here for. If you are a Christian and you desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come up here. Let me lay my hands on you. Those are both their quick prayers. I'm just going to join my faith with yours and believe you're going to leave here full of Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gifts he brings. And thank you for understanding Thank you for granting us understanding of these things so that we can grapple with them, so we can master them, so that we can flow in these gifts for our mutual profit and for your ultimate glory. It's my prayer, Lord God, and I know it's the prayer of every believer in this room, every believer in the sound of my voice, that if anybody does not know you as Father, has not received the free gift of salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, that you would convict them of their need today and grant them the wisdom, the boldness, and the humility to receive that free gift of salvation now. If there's any believer in here who lacks the power because they've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, grant them everything they need to come and receive that gift today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.